and riding towards them on that ancient road were two people of normal grown-up human size. Keep on, move towards them, said Puddle Glum. Anyone you meet in a place like this is as likely as not to be an enemy, but we mustn't let them think we're afraid. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we are doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Chase. And I'm Kel. Thank you for joining us. Just a reminder that today we are talking about the sixth book in the series, The Silver Chair, but general spoiler warning for the whole Narnia series, as well as a heads up that we do go on tangents into other stories we enjoy. We'll do our best to give spoiler warnings along the way if there's anything too far out there. But today we're talking about The Silver Chair, Chapter 6, The Wild Wastelands of the North. Wild Wastelands, Chase. It's the North. The North. The North remembers something like giants and cities and stuff. But Chase, I'd love to give us a summary. Yes. Do it. (laughs) Do it. Do it. (laughs) That's a different podcast. So Eustace, Jill, and Puddleglum set out on their journey early in the morning. They left the wigwam behind and began their climb into giant's territory, having to take the steeper, harder way because the easier gorge was like a road to the giants. They found a path to walk and halted midday by a stream to rest, and Jill was starting to feel that she might actually like adventures after all, but Puddle Glum assured her that they hadn't even begun. After that, they were walking near to the, to the rocky edge of the gorge, and Jill noted that the rocks were stranger here, standing up in tall stacks along the gorge. It was, it was like these rocks could probably be mistaken for the giants, because they had tufts of heather and bird nests that might be mistaken for hair or beard or someone saw them. Maybe they weren't really giants. Oh my gosh, the giants are moving. Uh, those rock stacks, turns out, giants, Chase. Who knew? Who would have seen this coming? Uh, it, tur- it, you know, it turns out that uh, giants just look funny. Uh, and uh, there are like 40 or 50 of them standing along the gorge in a straight file line for some yeah. reason. You know, why not? They just kept walking and pretending not to see them and so that they wouldn't be noticed. Because after all, if you don't make eye contact, you're invisible. Uh, all of a I'll sudden, go to the grocery store, Cal. That's fair. I respect it. Uh, all of a sudden, rocks began to be thrown by the giants and Puddle Glum assures them that they are not the targets because the giants are just playing a game like uh, trying to hit a cairn. Uh, I think that's a cavern is sure. what cairn is. I think that's like a... Like I'm just going to assume... Northern it's like, their, it's like cave. I'm going to assume that Cairn is a way that they're mispronouncing can and they're throwing giant rocks at a can. Uh, but they're just bad shots because they're dumb and also they're ugly. C.S. Th- Lewis thought you should know that they're ugly too. So after a while, the rock throwing stopped because some of the giants got in a fight. And after they fought for a while, they all sat down and, uh, and like, like giant, giant babies cried, uh, cried, My friend is cried, friend. Typos, you know. Uh, that night, they camped and they continued north through Ettensmore for several more days and hardly met any more giants. And about the 10th day, because we just skipped through, uh, they reach a cliff where the land changed to a grimmer, mountainous land full of dark precipices and stony valleys. Puddle Glum assured them that if they broke their necks climbing down, they'd be safe from drowning in the river. Look at the bright side, guys. Then they found the giant's bridge. They argued a bit over whether they could trust it because these giants don't seem smart enough to make a bridge. And then they finally went up to it. From the top, they could see an old giant's road stretch out on the other side, but at the end of it were two human-sized figures, which isn't suspicious at all. Puddle Glum said to keep moving forward as if they're not scared of them, but to be wary because anyone you meet might be an enemy. 
They got closer and saw that one was a knight in full black armor whose face was not visible, and the other was a lady on a white horse uh, with a giant with a beautiful, valiant green dress. She greeted them, asking of their business, and Jill said they were uh, seeking a ruined giant city, and Puddleglum was like, bruh, shut your mouth. Uh, the lady said she didn't know where the giant city ruinous was, but they should go up to the castle of Harfang, where there are gentle giants who could lodge them for the winter. They liked the idea of a warm bath and a soft bed, uh, which definitely are exactly as they seem. Uh, and when they, when Jill asked if they would be welcome there, not knowing them, the lady said to tell them that she of the green kirtle salutes them by you and has sent them two fair southern children for the autumn feast. Definitely, just as it seems, not any other play on words. Autumn feast. It is. It is definitely them joining the dinner, not being the dinner, for sure. She told them whatever day they arrived, not to get there too late, because they bolt the gates a little past noon. They thanked her and parted ways, the lady and the knight going the other way across the bridge. Jill and Scrub thought the lady was lovely and kind, and of course, Puddleglum didn't trust her and wondered why the knight had said nothing. Scrub said they should go to Harfang while Puddleglum didn't want to, since this was not part of Aslan's signs. Finally, Puddleglum agreed to go to the gentle giants, but on the condition, the others would not tell them that they were sent from Aslan looking for the lost Prince Rillian. The journey was harder as they continued forward, going in the direction that they weren't supposed to for some reason, uh, and there was a cold wind from the north. And the harder ground left them sore at the end of the day. And also, now that they had heard about Harfang, all they could think about was soft beds and hot food. They never talked about Aslan or even the Lost Prince now. And Jill had stopped repeating the signs to herself every night and morning, at first telling herself she was too tired, but then forgetting all about it. Finally, they came to the end of the gorge they were in to dark fir woods. And in it, they could see a hill with an unnatural flat top and the lights of windows. The kids were excited that this must be Harfang. And they ate and went to bed in the bitter cold, looking forward to the hot baths coming the next night Man. chase there's definitely nothing suspicious or wrong going on here nope perfectly normal time you, perfectly normal stroll through the countryside yes why would a beautifully dressed woman not be in the middle of giant infested territory duh i mean that just seems logical who doesn't make very queen allison from the current uh, Game of Thrones series mm. dress choices. Who doesn't, Chase? If you're not watching House of the Dragon. I know when I'm know. hiking through places where I can get hit by boulders thrown by giants, I like to wear my prettiest gown. So Yes, yes. and you do and look so good in green, Cal. It is my favorite color, Chase. But, alas, as we approach that, uh, we start our you know journey going through walking through this river and uh you know trying to avoid the, the giants and man chase i'll tell you puddle glum though he is a little bit cynical he's got to be the best traveling partner yeah, that we've seen been right at every single turn this he, is, he is cynical but he is correct he has great wisdom regarding the giants and the routes they take yeah because he's like hey don't go that way because that's where all the giants walk and move around even though it's steeper over here, this is the better path. Also, I can shoot a bow and arrow and get us all of the food. Yeah. This dude is basically Strider. Your backup food. This dude is just depressed Strider slash Aragorn. Like so Strider. So just Strider. Like he's like Puddle Glove is the best, man. And he 
reading Puddleglum as an adult really feels like seeing Squidward quotes as an adult when you realize, <laughs> like, oh, we were the annoying ones the whole time. Cool. <laughs> mm, what a plot twist. Squidward was right. Yeah. And it's he's just, man, he's the best. Uh, and also, he gets some, because he is so cynical, like Squidward, we get the zingy one-liners like this, where Jill is like, man, I love adventures. And <laughs> Puddleglum's like, we haven't had any yet. Where he's like, you can't say that you love adventures when you haven't even started. Like, that's incredible stuff here. Yeah, don't say you love hiking until you have reached the top of the mountain. Correct. <laughs> they And they they have not gone through anything because they're about to have boulders thrown at them. Literal boulders, Chase. Boulders thrown near them. Yeah, but Giants if you have... have bad aim because they're dumb. So as we get to this, right? So th- we'll, we're going to we'll whiz through here because what happens is they decide to take this other path to avoid the giant... Uh, you know, intersection or the the interstate highway of giants, apparently. And and so they're going through this little gorge area. And on the on the side of it, they see what look like giant rocks with like that could be shaped as heads with like nests and trees and bushes and stuff that look like hair and beards, which I like this. Yeah, I I do too. I like the both in a magic world where you're walking around with a talking scarecrow person. Yeah. That you're still like, maybe giants don't even exist. Like, yeah. That's like, I can see how people would mistake these rocks for giants. Yeah. Which is like, if you go to like certain parts of Arizona or anywhere where there's like cool rock formations. Like, yeah. Like there's things that you see, you're like, Oh man, if it was like, like a weird time of day where the lighting was off and I was like on edge. Like I would be scared of that if I saw totally. the distance. Yeah. I like this. It's, it's fun. I wish we spent more time with the giants themselves because oh, yeah. this is a, a major, this is kind of like the same issue that we had with voyage where it's like, man, this is a really cool concept that we don't really spend a lot of time with because all of a sudden these rocks start moving and they form these giants made out of rocks. And that's super fun. And then puddle gloves basically just like, Hey, like they operate the same way that like, like you said earlier, people in a grocery store do, if you ignore them, they'll ignore you. Uh, Where it's like, just. And what's crazy is like, this is not helpful to the listeners, but on the map we get from here all the way up to here in one chapter, like we and, get and, across, in a couple pages. So like what I just pointed at for, uh, for you listeners, you people who will never see this, uh, literally the start, like the very bottom of the map page in the, this book to the very top of the map page within this book is this entire chapter it is the right. entire journey part of this book. They're basically going from the Northern part of Narnia to a place called Ettensmore. And then there at the very top are these mountains. And in the mountains, that's where we're going, right? That's the that's where we find and eventually we'll find Snake Lady uh and, and the prince, right? Um hey, Snake Lady is who we became along the way. <laughs> definitely. And like Jay said, we skip through this in about a page and a half, right? Because yeah. what happens is they decide, hey, just move forward. The rock, the giants start throwing giant boulders because they're playing a game. They're not actually trying to hit the travelers. They're just trying to throw rocks at a cave because 
apparently they're teenage boys uh, who are trying to make up a game, right? Where they're like, I bet I could throw this rock at that cave and so, get closest. And they're all just bad aim. I didn't realize till just now that I'm a giant. Yeah, we're we're all giants in, a, in our own way, you know. But they they throw that and then Pablo Bum's like, hey, just ignore it. Try not to get hit by a boulder. Keep walking forward. So they do. And they they're like, cool. This happened for about 10 days where they're just like moving forward. They'll camp. Uh, the giants quarrel a little bit, and then they stop. And then they just, once they make it through that little like straight line of giants, they just walk for another nine days. And on the 10th day, they finally reached like a new point of like, that's where they finally get to the like mountains and everything. Yeah. And that's it with the giants. Or at least these like giants. Essentially cross all of Scotland is kind of like right. they walk across Scotland in this nine days. But yeah, what really stuck out to me with the vibes of the giants, something I was saying before we started is like C.S. Lewis really seems to be getting out some kind of like aggression against another group of people on these giants. Like they're coded kind of the way that like English British people talk about like Scottish British people or like Welsh British people. And it's uh very like on the nose. Yeah. It's uh, they t- make fun of like the giants language, having too many syllables and how they're dumb and look dumb. And it's uh, like, can't even hit something if they throw it at it. Like it's, it's very, very it's, childish. It, If it's not a commentary, it's definitely, like, too close to not be read as one. Yeah. Uh, And, like, here's the thing. I So, I have a ton of, like, like Welsh blood. Like, that's where Casto comes from and everything. So, I've looked up, like, hey, what are, like, uh, Welsh names or, like, anything like that? That's, like, maybe that'd be fun to, like name a a kid or something or you know that'd be that'd be a fun thing to to like to try chase have you ever looked up welsh names i've seen the wales episode of the crown that's close enough it's about 95 percent consonants and those consonants are g's and n's and where it's like you've got to be able to make guttural sounds if you're speaking welsh it's got a lot and it's i i i was like you know what Maybe we don't go Welsh for names because I don't know. Like my my son's name isn't going to have four G's in a row and then an L and then be pronounced Kyle uh, or something like that. Like that'd be pretty good. You, you like, should do that. It's a it's a weird. Should ruin every substitute teacher's life. <laughs> <laughs> it's a silent three in the middle of his name. Actually, um, okay. So I don't know why you would. I don't know why you would pronounce it that way. No. So I, you know, I don't want to disparage Welsh because that's my people, kind of. Um, but right. also, we don't agree with these stereotypes. But correct. it really seems like C.S. Lewis is leaning into the stereotypes of how British people talk about their neighbors, which is... I agree, unfortunately, but... It's one of those things, like when you read descriptions of, like, goblins in any fantasy, it's like, okay, this is... Who is this supposed to be? Like, Like, you you guys need to stop. (laughs) You need to stop this discrimination right now. Agreed. Uh, 
which is it is why I like I have tended to like more and more fantasy novels that the evil person or the evil group isn't someone that looks different or that it's just like maybe they have something that distinguishes them, but it's not that they're ugly or that they're dumb or evil inherently. It's like, no, they they're just a different they're like a different nation that has different values or it's like, but they all look the same and we could be there just as easily if these things had happened to us. Yeah. Well, that's something that like, as you read the Harry Potter books, yeah, like the earlier books that are like true children's books, the signs that someone is a bad guy tends to be that they're ugly and you don't like their personality. And then the later books as they age up, and like they are more complex literature are a lot more like, Oh, the enemy is within ourselves and, yeah. and our that's friends and the people the, we trusted. And right. I believe it's serious. He's got the famous quote of like, when, when Harry's like the, or they're, they're, he's talking to Harry and he goes, the world isn't split into death eaters and order of the Phoenix. It's like, everyone has a mixture of gray in them. Like it's not just black and white. And it's like, that's true, you know? And so I, all this to say, characterizations that may or may not be people groups are rough. And yeah. things that are like, hey, everyone could be evil or everyone could be good, depending on, you know? And that's, this is written in 1950. So yeah. it's like that the the literary, you know, trope. And like, what's one of the things that like J.R.R. Tolkien gets the most crap for? Like, every, like, it is very clear who the bad guys are. Yeah, like, well, it doesn't help that his fans are also very mad that any black people now exist in this world. Just I, oh, I've never, I've never understood the anger at this, where it's a literal mythological like race yeah. of people, or like it's fictional, like a fantasy world where dragons and orcs and goblins and elves and dwarves exist. And you're upset. Same thing with the little mermaid. Like, why are you upset that Ariel is black? She's a mermaid. She's a mythical creature. If you wanted to be quote unquote accurate, she would look like a, like. She wouldn't be a mermaid. Like she wouldn't be. She would would look like a fish. If you're upset at the non-realities of a black mermaid, you are Focusing on the wrong part of inaccuracy. It's like the people who go to Star Wars and they're like, oh, there's no way that these sounds would be heard in space. It's like, why are you upset at that part? Have you been to space? It's literal. It's a, it's Star Wars where you're talking about a magical force and lightsabers and yeah. like people who can travel through space at this, like beyond the speed of light. And you're upset at sound. You're supposed to check reality at the window. Like, yeah. And so it's, it's craziness. Yeah, like, it's, oh, we should probably move on. Fine, <laughs> Chase. We'll move on. I'll get off the soapbox. But justice for the giants. Justice for the giants. Hashtag send it up. But uh, we we finally reach the end of this place because, and by finally, I mean we reach it after a page, uh, and we don't see the rock giants again ever. Uh, yeah, we don't see them again. They have one giant in this entire 10 day journey that actually sees them. And he just laughs and moves on. Yeah. <laughs> Could and not care less. Couldn't care less. These are the, the rock giants are basically the sea serpent of the silver chair. 
where it's like, oh, that was neat. All right, moving on. Uh, and then they just go forward, but whatever. Uh, so they uh, they make their way and they see a giant bridge and like their bridge or a giant could, bridge could be either. Honestly, it's I'm a, sure it's both. It's a they say a bridge that like they it must be a giant's bridge or a sorcerer's says Puddle Glum. Puddle Glum coming in with some hot takes, but they're all right. Like, yeah, it's fair enough. I am genuinely forgetting here. Is the Giant's Bridge one of the signs? Uh, I don't believe so. I think it was... I know go, they've got to find the Giant City. They go to the ruined Giant City, and then they are going to see a word or like like a message and do what it says. Yeah. And then on like the mountains or whatever. And then the third one is that the prince is going to be the person who asks them something in Aslan's name. Yeah. And I think those are the three signs, I believe. Because we've I already not... failed. We've already failed the first one. Correct. And uh, they're it's about been a to. Minute since Jill recited them. So I, I too have forgotten them. And, and, and they're not they're not going to do well after this because they really aren't going to head to the giant city, which we'll get to in a little bit. But they see this bridge and they're like, hey, like Puddle Glum's like, hey, don't you think it's suspicious that these giants who are really stupid made this really big bridge? And they're like, must have been made by other giants. And that's satisfying enough for them. And so they go on the bridge. And as they're crossing it, uh, they see two humans. Chase, this is not suspicious, especially. One of them is a beautiful woman in a dazzling what color dress, Chase? It's green. It's green, uh, Chase. Green, green, green. And that is because she wants ruby slippers, right? Correct. Uh, but the and then her her companion is a knight with completely black armor, with his helmet on and visor down. With no device on his shield and no banner on his spear. Yeah. So, like... Which, this, honestly, for medieval-style literature, is, like, not having a banner is a much bigger red flag than wearing all black armor and riding a black horse. Agreed. This is all sketchy, especially, Chase. We and these kids have been told the story of where... A what color snake killed the queen? A green snake, Chase. A green snake, and then they and come, then he goes back, and a woman see, wearing a green dress. A beautiful woman in a green dress supposedly abducts him somehow. Chase, I know, like, green flags should be going up. I say green yeah. because they're not red flags anymore. Yeah. As in they should go towards this woman and trust everything she says. This said. is the Michael Scott logic where green means uh like do not go. Like like what's he what's when it whenever his like sales like like note cards or whatever, it's like green means green means go ahead and forget about saying <laughs> it's like go ahead and don't talk about this. Don't go ahead and don't go towards the, the beautiful woman. In the night in pure black armor with no sigils in the middle of giant country. Yeah. Don't don't walk towards these Slytherins in the middle of giant territory. Like, 
they are like Puddleglum and them are dressed appropriately as hikers and travelers. You are not in the middle of the mountains in a dazzling green dress and pure black armor. You wouldn't do that. Oh, for sure. And something even just like story trope wise that isn't what uh, I'm going to talk about later is like the idea of the like bridge guard or like bridge troll. Exactly. Um, yeah. The fact that there is always like, if you're going over a magic seeming bridge, there's a good chance that you're going to have to pass a test to get across yeah. it. And they fail because yeah. what happens is like, Puddleglum's like, yo, these people are probably enemies. So let's just chill. Uh, let's don't let them know we're afraid, but don't really tell them anything. Uh, and she starts like, singing talking to them you know it's a very sweet bird-like sing-song voice of like good good day travelers like uh and she's cast a spell on you right and and so they're they're going uh and like immediately puddle gloves like just being real short with her and jill's like we're going to the land of the giants and puddle gloves like yo chill like stop talking about this joe don't tell them everything Right. Uh, like, if we finally have a character, it only took us six books, uh, who understands how to not talk to strangers. Yeah, it only took six books for a character to think and act like an adult person. Right. Like, Puddleglum's the best. He happens to be the most cynical, like, depressed character in the entire series. It's the yeah. one adult we meet. I, you know, it, it tracks, honestly. But, like... Yep. He is finally like the one recognizing red flags, the one that, you know, doesn't just say everything because you don't know who like this, these people are or what they want. And he begins to ask them uh, and like, she's like, oh, you know, well, I don't even know about the like ruined giant city. Uh, but, you know, uh, she calls it the city ruinous. With a- yeah. Does that mean that the name of the city was ruinous and it just happens to also be in ruins. I think it's been renamed. I, you, you know, you hope uh, or you real, like, is this a, uh, what came first, like scars name or the scar on his face? Cause yeah, it's it either a really, it's either really prophetic or it's a really cruel nickname. Hey, I mean, at some point, every city becomes ruins. It's, it's a guarantee that is I mean, part of time. Yeah, that's that is true, you know. So I guess it, it could be either. But <laughs> I'm gonna name my kid Gravestone. Oof, oof, Chase. Jeez Louise. Oh man, you know, took that turn. This is why back. I'm still single. <laughs> this <laughs> ladies, if you're listening, you've got this to look forward to. <laughs> but <laughs> alas. They just, she's like, I don't know anything about, uh, you know, the city ruinous, but you could go this completely opposite direction to the castle of Harfang, where dwell the gentle giants who are super civil and they're really cordial. And, you know, they're, they're not going to be like savage, like these other rock giants have been. Uh, and it says like all of her words are twinged with half truths. And like should be red flags where she goes, you would be wise to winter there or at least to tarry certain days for your ease or refreshment, right? One, she's telling you, hey, you should just 
spend a lot of time there. You should yeah. just forget about your journey. It sounds like you're on a mission, but what if instead of that mission, you went on vacation? Correct. And then the way that she phrases this next sentence is incredibly telling. She goes, there you shall have steaming baths, soft beds, and bright hearts. So you will have like a, like hot water, a soft place to lay and fire. Yeah. And the roast and the roast and the baked and the sweet and the strong will be on the table four times a day. She never says that they will get to sleep, that they will get to be bathed, that they will get to eat. She just lets them imply it. Right. And they're like, wow, a hot bath, warm meals. This sounds great. Uh, And they're like friend, the witch who lives in the woods. Her house is made out of candy, and she loves to bake pies with children. Yes. There's nothing sketchy. And they're like, what if they, you know, ask who we are and they, we don't know them? She's like, just tell them that she of the green kirtle, which also, if you ever heard, hear someone use this kind of language and refers to their dress as a kirtle, yeah. I don't dress them immediately because kirtle is the same word for the thing that happens to your milk in your tummy, and I don't like it. So, not trustworthy. <laughs> Also, if you miss what color she was wearing before, she green. outright points it out. <laughs> That's yeah. her entire personality is wearing green. She says she has sent uh, salutes them by you. So she says, hey, you know me. I know you, giants. And I have sent you two fair southern children for the autumn feast. The, again, crazy. go wrong. Does not say to join you for so that you can feed them. It is one, Southern children, Narnian children. That's a weird way to phrase this. How does she know, right? I mean, there might be a tell, but it's like, that's a weird thing to phrase. And then for the autumn feast, they are going to be had for the autumn feast. Man. So uh, there's a non-zero chance that this book ends with these kids just getting eaten. There is a non-zero chance, unfortunately, because there are like 10 chapters left. I think they're probably going to be fine. But after this moment, right, what happens is they, you know, they they go on their ways. Uh, and she's like, hey, make sure, like, she does give them a little, you know, thing where she's like, whatever you do, don't go get there too late because they shut their gates a few hours after noon. Uh, and it's the custom of the castle that once the gates are shut, they don't open them for anyone. Right. Uh, which that may or may not come into play later. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, but uh, they they leave. The knight never says anything. And uh, Puddle Glum is like, man, I wish we had gotten to know where they were going or what they were up to. But they deflected. And now we don't know what's going on. And I assume that it's nothing good. Yeah. yeah he's fully like, well, they're evil. Cool. Yep. And Jill and Eustace are like, dude, what are you talking about? Like, she like gave us, you know, everything that like we could want, like a hot meal, a hot bath. She's providing these like an option for these things. And she also is like a, a, you know, she looks beautiful. She's got this night with her. And like, why shouldn't we trust her? Yeah. Yeah. And Puddle Glum really, even more so than the lady, like really hones in on the night. And just like, man, 
don't know what could possibly be inside of a knight's armor if you can't see inside of it. Can't see his face. We don't know. It could be just a skeleton in there. It could be an invisible person in there. It could be a prince who was promised in there. Yeah. yeah it's uh, it's fully, like, he really hones in on the the stranger in black, which is falling for the red herring, but I'll talk about that later. Yeah. Um, like, I'm really shocked that none of them caught the green thing at all i it's it's one of those things where it's like it's so obvious and it's been spelled out so many things where it's there are times where it's like you should recognize these things guys like it's it's not hard and it like obviously this is for the reader to go ooh, it's a green dress like this is the same person but also that's the same thought that at least one of them should have and like puddle glum focusing on the night he should, right? For a reason. Yeah, you would think that he he has heard this story before. If the owls know it and he's agreeing to go on this journey at all, like you right. expect something for him to have some context. Yes. But all this to say, this leads to their first fight and quarrel, which Puddle Glum had like, you know, alluded to happening. And it's because they're like, oh, Puddle Glum, you're so negative. You always expect the worst and you're always wrong. He's really... He he's not so far. No, he's been a very even the lady said it wise this whole time. Wise counsel. And like he's been helpful. And being like, hey, we probably don't want to go that way. Even if like he's negative, which is true, he's pretty correct. And like he's been helpful. Also, he's the reason you've been eating. Cause ah. he could shoot birds out of the air with a bow and arrow. And he will do so <laughs> even after this. He will still be a kind friend even after they were so rude to him and like just dismiss him and his his words and theories right yeah he will still be straight up dead without battle club absolutely right uh and so they start going towards harfang which is not the direction that they need to be going and wouldn't you know it chase everything starts to go wrong it's colder the the ground is rougher they now that they've heard of hot baths and hot food that's all they can think about. Mm. It's almost like that was an intentional ploy of the snake lady. You know, this snake poisoned them. Ah, poison of the mind. Right. Uh, And so everything is miserable. Their mind grapes, Mm, mind grave palace, but everything is miserable. It's, you know, it's all the worst. And they stop talking about Aslan. They forget about the the signs. They stop like they. She's no longer repeating the signs to herself in the morning and the evening. They are no longer focused on the journey. And yeah. the the thing that they're like, oh, cool, we finally made it. It is an ominous flat mountain top, like with lights coming through it. The plateau in the middle of the dark, scary woods. Yeah thunder clapping in the background and they go ooh lights oh look windows yeah the uh the part where he was like and they stopped talking about they never talked about aslan anymore or even the lost prince jill stopped repeating the signs for herself every night and morning and first she made excuses for herself but then she forgot about it altogether really gave me like book of judges vibes yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
just like every cycle in the book of judges is like and All right, cool. We're good. We don't need God stopped anymore. Stopped remembering the ways of God and stopped following his commands and went off into their idols and everything. They all did what was right in their own eyes and they got poisoned by snake ladies. But yeah, it's a. Uh, I mean, the comment about windows in the dark and the hope that you feel at the end of a long journey. Does C.S. Lewis think that we're all walking? Him and J.R.R. Tolkien, man. Him and J.R.R. Tolkien are like, you know what people do a lot? Walk for hundreds of miles. And care a lot about languages. Bingo. But yeah. we we end the chapter with the, with the hope that something's going to get better in this new destination, and it probably won't. No. But Chase, with that bright message uh, brought to you by Puddle Glum, would you like to take us further up and further in? Would love to. So for my further up and further in, uh, wanted to talk about this uh, idea of the strange traveler mid-journey. So this is an old school adventure story trope. And the way it tends to work is you're on a long journey. And at the lowly, loneliest, hardest point, you meet a strange traveler where you wouldn't expect it. Now that traveler is always going to be either a help or a hurt. Like you don't include a stranger in a story without them being there for a purpose. Um, and the question when you come across a figure like this is, is this going to be a trap or is this going to be a savior? And the challenge on this part of the quest is to figure that out. And that is what our characters are facing when they meet this knight and this lady. Now, here's the twist that makes this trope fun. Uh, when the traveler is coded as a villain, say wearing a dark cloak or has a mysterious past or looks l rugged and downtrodden, that's usually the one that turns out to be a good guy. Think Strider in Lord of the Rings. When the traveler is coded as a hero, resplendent, dressed in as a wealthy noble or a fair lady or talks sweetly and makes big promises, that's almost always the one that turns out to be a villain with ulterior motives. And this situation is really interesting because we actually meet two travelers. One is the dark silent type and the other is shining with honeyed speech. And now I haven't gotten to the end of the book yet in this rereading, but I did confirm with Kel, and this is a spoiler alert for the end of this book, we, but we gave that warning at the beginning of this podcast. Uh, my prediction is that this lady will be the snake and the knight will be the prince under a spell. That's my guess. Pretty sure I'm right. Uh, I think C.S. Lewis is playing with this adventure story trope and give us a clue of where the story is going by having us meet both the villain and the object of our quest at this turning point in the road where they end up getting tricked, but also like they trust the lady they shouldn't and they distrust the person that they were looking for all along. Yeah. And mine is related. Obviously this is the most significant part of the chapters when they meet the lady in green, uh, as much as I'd love to talk about the rock giants, they're kind of unimportant. It's just another episode in the journey. And so my further up and further in is the too good to be true trip. It's the Admiral Akbar and the rebellion uh, rolling up to the Death Star and realizing, oh man, it's a trap. Uh, and then it's it's Hansel and Gretel strolling through the woods and seeing a 
you know, a house made of gingerbread and uh, a little old lady who just wants to cook for them and fatten them up for no other reason than pure motives. It's Harry Potter happening to run into Bathilda Backshot and uh, in, in Godric's Hollow and being like, man, this is so convenient. The person that could tell me all about Dumbledore and my parents and, you know, other things is just right here. And she happens to only speak parcel tongue and wants me alone by myself. There's definitely nothing evil here. Uh, when things are too good to be true, especially in literature and in money matters, it's probably is right. If, if something seems that way, it's probably not going to end up well. And the purpose of these literary tropes of the too good to be true in a lot of ways, it's meant to rid your protagonists of naivete and immaturity and to give them a healthy and reasonable amount of distrust or skepticism in the real world. You should not just openly trust anyone and everyone right? That is not how the world works. Though trust is a good thing, you trust must be earned and must be deserved, right? You don't just trust random people. I wouldn't just say, hey, random person on the street, can you watch my car while it's running and also has my money in there? I don't know this person. I don't know if I can trust their motives, right? But if I was with Chase, I'd say, hey, Chase, I need to run into the bank real quick. Can you just make sure no one takes my car? Or like, you know, Chase goes on a joyride and then I, you know, ruined my trust, but it is what it is, right? But you should have a healthy amount of skepticism when it comes to strangers, right? This is the first time that C.S. Lewis actually, like, maybe he got, you know, feedback uh, and maybe he, you know, posthumously heard all of our commentary about Mr. Tumnus being a creep and was like, hey, maybe I should have a character in here who speaks on behalf of skepticism and uh you know stranger danger is a thing right and so this is the too good to be trope that too, too good to be true trope that allows our protagonists to grow in their maturity and grow out of naivete and say hey we should follow the steps of the journey do what we know to be good and true as opposed to just hoping that this you know thing that looks too good to be true isn't too good to be true but chase now that we have uh, you know, made our way through the gorge of giants throwing boulders and giants throwing boulders. I mean, uh, Welshmen just screaming at us things that are unintelligible. Uh, would you mind giving our our listeners a more intelligible way of understanding where they can find our podcast? Yeah, if you want to throw rocks at us, you can go and do that uh, anywhere you find podcasts: uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you want to. Uh, while you're there, make sure you subscribe. Make sure that you leave us a five star rating and a review. Helps other people to find us. And then uh, while you're at it, go ahead and go on Instagram at Chronicles of Podcasts, where you can uh, also follow us and see when we post new episodes and engage with us there. We'd love to hear from you. Yep. Remember, most of the podcasts that you meet on this journey are very bad and evil, but yeah. not ours. Ours are really trustworthy and really good. Yeah. We're the only podcast that's not going to murder you and your family. That we can, that's the only thing we can guarantee. If you ever want to see The Prince again, you will follow this podcast. That's like, all right, I'm going to trust that you know what you're doing and you wouldn't make this big of a can change. The mithril stuff you can get away with because anyone who's just watched the movies, it's going to be fine. Yeah. I kind of took it as a... uh let the audience know that she thinks she doesn't have a husband in case she wants to hook up with Sauron. 
I don't think Hal Brand is Sauron. 